This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Maybe the wooden idols aren't as they were in that day. Maybe today our wooden idols are in a whole lot of other things of this world, the ways and the cares and the concerns of this world. And suddenly we're trying to find reason and purpose and direction from the things of this world rather than saying, you know what, the things of this world, man, they they pass in in a moment. They're going to be gone in, in just a breath. But the word of the Lord is forever. Have you ever done anything that you knew wasn't going to end well, but you went ahead and did it anyway? That's exactly what the children of Israel were doing during the time of Hosea. Israel was living in willful disobedience toward God, and God sent his prophets to try to warn them of the consequences of their actions. But they just wouldn't listen. Has God been warning you? Has he been trying to get you off a wrong path you've taken? Don't be like Israel and ignore his guidance. Listen. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Hosea, chapter 4, verse 5, for today's study. He was the one who would share with the people, again, the the word of God, the direction of God. He would keep the people, in essence, in the right direction and keep them going the right way. But now, as the people contended with that, they started moving away from what they knew to be the truth. It says, now you're going to stumble even in the day. And then it says, and the prophet also shall stumble with you in the night. That means even those who should be the leaders, the, the, the spiritual leaders within the community, they're stumbling. And wow, we see that on almost a continual basis. Churches that are falling apart because spiritual leaders, because uh, church leaders, youth leaders, uh, worship leaders, uh, elders, uh, uh, leadership within the church that, that stumbles into these same things. He says in verse 6, My people are destroyed for what? Lack of knowledge. But we're such an intelligent people. We are ever learning, aren't we? Yet never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. You see, our knowledge has gone so huge and so quickly and and vastly. I mean, we, we have so much information available to us now. But you know what? As we go in that kind of information, that kind of knowledge, we're going further and further from the knowledge of God. And that's what he's saying. He says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you've rejected knowledge. And that's the knowledge of God that they've rejected. He said, I also will reject you from being priest for me. Because you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. How many times do I hear, and it's not because we're anything special, believe me, but because I hear so many times people say, you know what, I've gone to this church and this church and this church, and it's so hard to find a church that just teaches the Bible. I'm thinking, I can't believe that. Number one, I don't visit a whole lot of churches, so, but when I get those words, I think, so what are they teaching? What are they preaching? What are they, what are they giving to the people to, to feed them? Is it just cotton candy all day long and, and ice cream and with, with whipped cream and, and just make, it's all sweet and tasty but of absolutely no nourishment to the soul? When, when the leadership, with the spiritual leadership 
of the people of God aren't feeding the people of God, when they're rejecting knowledge, man, what a mess it brings. He says, I'm also going to reject you from being priest for me. Down in verse 7, he says, the more they increase, the more they send against me. I will change their glory into shame. When I see the more they increase, I, I can't help but think of the, the tremendous amount of blessings that God gives and has given in so many ways. I think of our nation as a whole. I think of the church today and again i paint a broad with a broad brush here the church today is more blessed than any time in history at least in this country okay in our country the the freedoms the resources the technology the abilities man we are so blessed yet the more they increased the more they sinned against me i believe that that's why in third world countries the church that has absolutely nothing, they don't even have a sound system. They might not even have a guitar. They might, they gotta have a tambourine though, but there's gotta be something there. But they may not have anything. And yet their hearts are on fire for Jesus. Because that's all they have. He says, I'm gonna change their glory into shame. They eat up the sin of my people. They sat their heart on their iniquity. In other words, they focus themselves on doing iniquity. And it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. Now that's not a good reward, by the way, in case you haven't caught that. He's gonna reward them for their deeds. Their deeds were bad. Their reward is not gonna be good, okay? And you also need to know, as I'm speaking this to you, he says, like people, like priests, I've got to throw myself into this mix too. So it's not like I'm sitting up here and saying, hey, you guys straighten your eye. We all need to be careful that, again, our lives are glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got to be careful as a pastor to make sure that you are fed the word, the whole word of God. The hard, spot, the hard spots as well as the, the blessings and the great times of it. He says uh, in verse 10, For they shall eat, but not have enough. They'll commit harlotry, but not increase, because they have ceased obeying the Lord. Verse 11 says, Harlotry, wine and new wine, enslave the heart. We talked a couple of weeks ago about this idea of mind control. What controls your mind? What controls your mind for you to do the things that you do, to live the way that you live, to have the, the goals in mind that you have, to, to uh, again, to act the way that you act? Is it the Spirit of God, or is it the Spirit of this world? The things of this world that, that draw and distract and pull us away from the truth of God. He says, my people ask counsel from their wooden idols and their staff, informs them. For the spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray. I, I wanted to say the spirit of harlotry has caused them to be idiots. They look at a carved thing and they say, speak to me. I, I, I want to get, get the knowledge of, of life from, from my wooden staff or from whatever it is. So denying the reality and the truth of an almighty, all-powerful God, surely there can't be that we find our knowledge in our little wooden idols. Maybe the wooden idols 
aren't as they were in that day. Maybe today our wooden idols are in a whole lot of other things of this world, the ways and the cares and the concerns of this world. And suddenly we're trying to find reason and purpose and direction from the things of this world rather than saying, you know what, the things of this world, man, they they pass in in a moment. They're going to be gone in, in just a breath. But the word of the Lord is forever. It's forever. It endures forever. He says he goes on. The spirit of harlotry has caused them to stray. They played the harlot against their God. They offer sacrifices on the mountaintops. They burn incense on the hills under oaks, poplars, terebinths, because their shade is good. Therefore, your daughters commit harlotry. Your brides commit harlotry. I think probably when you look at something like that and you think of of it in a natural sense, there could be nothing more devastating than to say, you know what, my daughter has become a prostitute. My my wife has become a prostitute. And that's in essence what Hosea is declaring. And in reality, that's what has happened. They've sold themselves to the world system away from the one true husband that they have. He says, so I will not punish your daughters when they commit harlotry, nor your brides when they commit harlotry. Why? He says, for the men themselves go apart with harlots and offer sacrifices with a ritual harlot. Now, all of this isn't just symbolic either. You understand that, that uh, it's real and actual and true. As a matter of fact, part of their pagan worship this ritual harlot uh, that they were involved in that. So the sexual sins of the nation were just immense at that time. And again, I don't. I, I think we'd be foolish to think that there's not sexual sin that is just abounding within our nation at this time. And yeah, even within the church. And beloved, it's not taking God by any kind of a surprise. He says, therefore, people who do not understand, they'll be trampled. Though you, Israel, play the harlot, let not Judah offend. Then he speaks here to Judah. He says, don't come up to Gilgal, nor nor go to Beth-Avon, nor swear an oath, saying, as the Lord lives. So Israel, you guys have messed up. You guys, you guys are playing the harlots. Your, your, your lives are totally away from the direction that leads you to understand and to grow in the things of the Lord. You've walked away from all of my promises. But Judah, don't, don't, don't follow them. And I look at this and I, I look here at, in essence, the saying of, of the church, the visible church, or perhaps I could even call it the, the false church versus the true church. And you understand what I'm saying when I say the visible church. The visible church is is everybody that goes into a church on any given Sunday. Anybody and everybody with whatever kind of church it is, whatever the name on the door is, hey, we're, we're going to church. That's the visible church. That's what the world looks at and says, oh, look at all of those Christians. And they see them during the week and, man, there's nothing about Christ in them. Well, that's the visible church, and then there is the true church, truly born-again believers. And I see this difference here between Israel and Judah, both of them within the, the 12 tribes. But Israel, man, they've already shown themselves to be false. 
They've shown themselves to not be true believers. Now Hosea is warning Judah because Judah is kind of following behind them. And in, after Israel falls, it's not too many years later that Judah, the southern kingdom, falls too because they follow right after the thing. But here Hosea warns them and says, look, don't, don't do that. Don't go that direction. It's interesting. He uses uh, two towns or two places there. Do not go up to Gilgal or don't go up to Beth-Avon. It's interesting. There is no such place as Beth-Avon. There was a Bethel, which was a place of, of, of pagan worship for the northern kingdom. There was also Gilgal, which was a place of pagan worship for the northern kingdom. Bethel, the name Bethel, which is where the place for the pagan worship was, the name means the house of God. But Hosea here uses Beth-Avon. He doesn't use Bethel. He uses Beth-Avon. And Beth-Avon means the house of wickedness. He doesn't even want to call it the house of God. He knows where they're worshiping. He knows where all the pagan uh, uh, shrines are. He says, don't go up to those. Don't even swear an oath saying, as the Lord lives. He doesn't want Judah to fall into the same pit as Israel. He says in verse 16, for Israel is stubborn, like a stubborn calf. Now the Lord will let him for, forage like a lamb in the open country. That's interesting. You say, now the Lord will let him forage like a lamb in open country. Let me ask you here. Any of you see lambs or sheep grazing around here? Do you ever notice they usually have a fence around that? And usually you don't want a lamb or a sheep out just in open country. Why? Because they're so subject to predators. They've got to be protected. They've got to be kept. They, normal lambs, normal sheep, they have no built-in protection at all. Now, I have heard of sheep that bite, but uh, that's just in a church kind of a situation. That's a whole different thing. But it's a, He says... They're stubborn, and so I'm just going to let, hey, you want to go? I'm, I'm, I'm going to put you like a lamb out in open country. And you're going to be subject to, again, all the predators that are out there. He says, Ephraim is joined to idols. I'm going to let him alone. In other words, my, my covering is going to be taken from him also. Their drink is rebellion. They commit harlotry continually. Her rulers dearly love dishonor. Wow. The rulers loving dishonor. This idea of not doing the honorable thing, not doing the right thing, doing dishonorable things, having a lifestyle like that. He says, the wind has wrapped her up in its wings and they shall be ashamed because of their sacrifices. You think, what does he mean by the wind is wrapped her up in its wings. The wind's going to take them wherever the wind's going to go. and They're not going to have much of a say-so. In A little bit later in chapter 8, he says, if you sow to the wind, what is it you're going to reap, church? You're going to reap the whirlwind. You see, that's in their lives. There's just no control in their lives. Now the, the wind has wrapped them in its wings, going to take them wherever and whenever. They're going to be outside of the covering of the Lord. They're going to be in open country, available to the danger of every predator that might come. 
So he goes on in chapter 5. Here again, he speaks. He starts out with the priests. He says, hear this, O priests. And then he comes to the populace. He says, take heed, O house of Israel. And then he goes to the kings. He says, give ear, O house of the king. So he's talking spiritual, social, and political level. He's covering every base because every bit of it was rotten in that northern kingdom. And I can't help but again bring us to where we're at today in our country. And I I look at the political system where we're at. I look at society where we're at and the events that we've seen going on within these last few weeks and and months that are just outrageous, that are just absolutely bizarre that are going on within this country. And then the spiritual realm. And the church is, is not a powerful notion within our country anymore. Oh, there are, there are, there are some good spots and there's some good churches and some powerful churches within our country, but it's not the powerhouse that it used to be and we're lacking so much in so many churches. It's almost atrophy has come upon them. He comes up and says, for yours is the judgment. In other words, the judgment is coming on you. Because you've been a, a snare to mitzvah and a net spread on Tabor. The revolters are deeply involved in slaughter. Though I rebuke them all, I know Ephraim and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you commit harlotry and Israel is defiled. It's interesting when a bride was defiled in those days, particularly when it was of her choice, when the bride chose to commit adultery, what was the punishment for that church? Death. They would stone them to death. And so God is in essence saying to Israel, hey, you know what? You've, you've committed these sins and judgment's going to come upon you. It says in verse 4, they do not direct their deeds toward turning to their God. In other words, there's no purpose in their heart to turn. It's not like they were trying to follow God in their life and, oh man, I I failed, I I stumbled, man. Uh, A bondage in my life tripped me up or, or man, I just kind of uh, fell along the wayside. I'm, I'm pressing toward God, but I went on a detour. No, as a matter of fact, it says here, man, they don't even direct their deeds toward going to God. It's like they literally repented from following God and turn back the other way. He says they don't direct their deeds toward turning to God. For the spirit of harlotry is in their midst and they do not know the Lord. People who should know the Lord. People who have had every opportunity to know the Lord. And yet they don't know the Lord. He says the pride of Israel testifies to his face. You know, there's not too many places in the Scripture that pride is a good thing. As a matter of fact, you can probably go through, and I think every place that pride is mentioned, it's in a negative context. The pride of Israel in particular here was their pride of being broken away from the worship of Jehovah God, 
their pride of being broken away from the rule of Rehoboam earlier on in, in this, when, when they broke away from, from the other tribe, from Judah, started their own thing. Their pride in having their own places and styles of worship. Their pride also that for a while they actually flourished. They actually prospered for a while. And so it looked like, hey, we can do all of this. We can get away with this. And man, we are prospering. This is a great thing. We are on our way. God says, no, your pride testifies to your face. He says, Israel and Ephraim, you're going to stumble in your iniquity. And the problem is, Judah, you're going to also stumble with them. You see, God who knows all, God who is sovereign, God who is omniscient, God knows that Judah is on that very same path. He says, Judah... I'm going to give you a great object lesson. I'm speaking here to Israel. I'm warning Israel. I'm going to bring great discipline upon Israel because of what they're... Don't do this, Judah. Watch here. I believe that's why God gives us big brothers and big sisters, you know. Uh, So you can watch that and say, I don't think I'm going to do that. I had a big brother that used to get in trouble a whole lot. And I learned pretty quickly how to avoid a lot of trouble. I can't say all the reasons why I avoid the trouble. That would perjure me. But uh, anyway, the, the idea is God gave them an object lesson. And Judah saw it happen. And just a little while later, Judah falls for, in essence, the same situation, the same deal. He says with their, verse 6, with their flocks and their herds, they go to seek the Lord. But Okay, wait a minute, Pastor, look. They're, they're, they're doing the right thing. They're, they're, they're going to worship. Well, what's he say here? But they will not find him. He's withdrawn himself from them. They have dealt treacherously with the Lord, for they have begotten pagan children. Now a new moon shall devour them and their heritage. They go to seek the Lord. That's religion without spirit. That's religion for religion's sake. That's just going to church. And that's, that's, that does nothing on the inside. Let me encourage you tonight. If, if, if you think that just going to church is going to make a change in your life, you need to realize that unless you come with the right heart and the right hunger, a hunger, man, I want to, I want to hear God tonight. I want to worship God tonight. I want to be in fellowship with God's people tonight. Just going to church is not going to change a thing. It will not change a thing. And they're going with their flocks, with their herds. On the outside, it looks like they're doing something. But God says, no, it does absolutely nothing. So God gives them a warning. He says in verse 8, Blow the ram's horn in Gibeah, the trumpet in Ramah. Cry aloud at beth Look behind you, O Benjamin. Ephraim shall be desolate in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel, I make known what is sure. The princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. And I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed and broken in judgment because he willingly walked by what, church? Human precept. Human precept. Walking by the logic of man rather than by the Spirit of God. Well, this just makes sense. You know, I, I, I've weighed all the factors. I've counted all the pros and all the cons. And it just makes sense. 
It's a typical and it's a logical thing to do. But more often than not, it's the wrong thing to do, particularly for the believer. Do we need to count the cost? Absolutely. The Lord says we count the cost in following Him. But that's not an accounting of the cost to see, well, should I or shouldn't I? But, Lord, I want to do this. I need to count the cost so that I know what I'm getting into. So that I know that, yes, if I follow you, this is what it's going to cost of my life. This is what you're going to require of me. And yes, Lord, I'm willing to do that. Instead of saying, hey, I'm just going to follow the Lord without counting the cost, you get halfway into it and suddenly you realize, wow, he's calling for commitment. He's, he's, he's calling for obedience. He's calling for surrender of my life. In these perilous times that we live in, how can we know for sure what is to come? The 12 Minor Prophets highlight many future events that will bolster our faith as we study them. You can download today's teaching or subscribe to the Open Word Podcast. Subscribing to the Open Word Podcast is the best way to stay up to date with all the latest messages from David. To subscribe, log on to theopenword.com. Click on the podcast option on the homepage or simply search for The Open Word in the iTunes Store. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. That's info at theopenword.com. When you contact us, please let us know the call letters of the station you heard the open word on and how today's broadcast has blessed you. Your feedback helps us know the Lord's direction for this ministry. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again and may God richly bless you.